Welcome to the Learning in Wartime podcast, a show dedicated to eternal conversations for frontline living. I'm your host, Dane Bundy. In 1938, C.S. Lewis gave a sermon at Oxford University entitled Learning in Wartime. Though war for the whole world loomed ahead, Lewis argued that we must not give up on learning, for the war doesn't create a new situation, but only aggravates the permanent one, so we no longer can ignore it. Today marks the next episode of our podcast, and it also marks a time of great uncertainty, for that's what crises do. But as Christians, our hope is found in nothing less than the eternal and sovereign one, Jesus Christ, our Lord. One of my favorite movies is the movie The Founder. It's terribly interesting and thought-provoking. It's the story of Ray Kroc and the founding of McDonald's as we know it. The film's about the American dream, but it's also about the human condition. In one of the most powerful scenes, Ray Kroc's wife turns to him in frustration and says, when's enough going to be enough for you? Ray responds, probably never. Ray's simple and honest answer unveils one peril of the human condition, the seemingly bottomless desire for more. This raises an important question, not only for the Christian, but for all of us. In a world when we can acquire so much at a click or a swipe, when is enough? What is enough? Do a quick Google search on contentment, and you'll find a ton of advice on how to achieve it. I bet you can find a course or two as well. Some find peace in meditation or simplifying, and others are actually bold to say that discontentment is a good thing. Like Peter Himmelman in his Forbes article titled, Stop Searching for Contentment, The Value of an Unsettled Mind. One famous work of self-help is called Meditations by a philosopher you probably have heard of named Marcus Aurelius. He was emperor of Rome from 161 to 180 AD. He's best associated with the philosophy of Stoicism, which advocated a sort of way to suppress or negotiate the emotions with the mind, to have what we nowadays call a Stoic calm. This does seem to promise a way to overcome pain and discomfort, but is that what Paul means when he says from a prison cell, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content? I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound? And what is a proper definition of contentment? or discontentment. And if we're to always be content, what about ambition? Is there ever a time for ambition? To help me think through these fascinating and challenging questions is once again, Mr. Bryce Ballard, but we also have a special guest, Dr. Mark Herod. He's the pastor of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee, and has been a Bible teacher at Providence Academy for many years. Welcome to the show, gentlemen. It's great to have you here. How are you doing? Doing very well, and thank you for the opportunity to join you. Yeah, doing great. Excited to be back. Great. Well, uh, Dr. Herod, you've been a, a blessing to me this year working with you at, at Providence, and um, I just am so thankful for you and the community and what the Lord has been doing through you and, and Trinity Baptist and Mr. Ballard. It's always great to, to be with you in, in the recording room. Yeah. <laughs> so let's go ahead and, and jump on in with our topic of today. And, and here's my first question. I'll, I'll phrase it like this. How can we define contentment in a, in a biblical way? And then maybe what are some misunderstandings that you've heard about contentment? And since I'm new to this, if I don't want to talk over anyone. So please feel free to interrupt. Um, 
to me, thinking of, of the definition of contentment, it, 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 I don't want to use the word satisfaction because that almost leads to p- passivity. Mm-hmm. I guess in looking at the Hebrew and the Greek words, the word sufficiency comes up, that there's a sense of sufficiency that what I have is enough. There still may be a, des- a drive or a desire for more. Now, that can be good or ill, and we can talk more about that later. But I think of contentment as a sense of, of well-being and serenity, even when you may be in circumstances that are difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Um, I think the word that first comes to my mind when I hear content or contentment is, is shalom. You know, I think we see that used in, in the Old Testament time and time again to denote. And if you know, if you want to have a little fun, do a little word study on shalom, and you'll see that it means peace, completeness, contentment, right? Like this idea wow. that, like you said, Dr. Herod, regardless of my circumstances, there is still this, this peace, this, this wholeness about me. Right. right. So that's the word that comes to my mind. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, to me, one of the misnomers about contentment is the idea that it would lead to passivity, that if I'm content, it's almost the imagery of, okay, you've just eaten your Thanksgiving meal, you're content and satisfied. So, you know, you you lay down on the couch, watch football and go to sleep and don't do anything. Right. I don't think that's the that's not the biblical view of contentment. I think about the Apostle Paul, who, of course, we're familiar with Philippians. Uh, four, where he says, I've learned in all things to be content. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But then I was struck by the contrast that even though he can speak of contentment, what happens in Second Timothy, he says, please, when you come, bring me my books, bring yeah. me my cloak. So I think I don't think the contentment had left, but I think he's saying I'm not passive. I still want to grow. I still have needs. But there's a sense of well-being, and I like the idea of shalom in this, this sense of I'm at peace, I'm at ease with whatever may be. Yeah. Yeah, I think the primary misconception that sticks out for me, and I think we see it in our world, you know, time and time again, is that I can find contentment in money, or I can find it in my relationships, or I can find it in my work. Or I can find it in something other than Christ. And it's funny that we think almost like I can control my contentment by getting more money, getting a better job, you know, strengthening my relationships, having more friends, whatever whatever that looks like. I think we, we like to be in control of our contentment and we like to put it in things that we can control. But then it has that adverse effect, right? What happens when those things go away? Yeah. Well, then discontentment comes in. Uh, right. uh, my my pastor in Chicago always used to say, and, and I just love this phrase. It, it sticks in my mind all the time. My expectations are far more influential in my life than my actual circumstances. Mm-hmm. And I think that says a lot. Like I, I expect that if I make enough money, I'm going to be content. I expect that if my relationship is this way or that way, I'm going to be content. And we set these high lofty expectations for contentment. And then when they're not met, like we're just devastated. 
Yeah. And and Dr. Herod, right before we pushed record, you were telling me a, a great quote from Rockefeller. Would you mind yeah. saying that oh, again? Yeah. Nelson Rockefeller in the latter part of the 18th century, early part of the, I'm sorry, latter part of the 19th century, early part of the 20th century was known as one of the richest men, certainly in America and maybe the world. His wife asked him one time, uh, how much is enough, Nelson? And he responded, one more dollar. <laughs> and I think that's the the idea of a, a contentment pointed in the wrong direction. It, stuff is never enough. I need one more. I need the newest and the latest uh, and greatest, which leads to greed, uh, a lot, strong lack of dissatisfaction in yeah. life. We were talking about that yesterday, Dr. Aird, on the, on the golf course there, that this this idea of just one more and I'm going to be fulfilled. You know, right. just, just, right. just one more step and I'm going to, I'm going to get there. And, and again, just seeking to find it in anything other than Christ is, is just a yeah. dangerous path to go down. Yeah. And I think that's, that's the thing, Bryce, when you talk about finding it in Christ, when I was reflecting on this a little bit, it struck me that there is a level of discontentment built into this fallen world. In other mm. words, when Adam and Eve fell and sin enters, enters into the world, our relationship with God then is is severed. So there's a longing, a discontentment that is built in. So the issue to me becomes, where are we going to seek true commitment, uh, contentment? If it's in God and a relationship with Him, then no matter what vicissitudes happen in life, we can say, as the, the hymn is, it is well with my soul. But if we point that discontentment toward, okay, if I get more money or I achieve a level of fame, we're never going to to reach that. That discontentment will drive us further away from God rather than to Him. Let me ask you guys a question on that note. Is being discontent, you know, Dr. Herod, you said it's it's kind of built in to this fallen world. Is being discontent sinful? I don't... I'm pausing for just a moment because part of me wants to say the act of discontentment within itself is not necessarily sinful based on the object. So in other words, if I have a discontentment because I want to know more of Jesus, that's not a bad thing. But if my discontentment is for things that truly will not satisfy or begins to lead me to anger that is not godly, that discontentment is dangerous. You know, if, if it's a discontentment where I become angry because I feel like, well, this isn't fair, that's not pleasing to God. But if it's discontentment that is saying, I want to know you more, I think that's pleasing to the Lord. Because Paul, for example, when he speaks of contentment, it's usually in regard to the physical things. I, I've learned what it is to be in want, to be in need. I've learned in all things. I can be content. I wonder, and you all please chime in here, does that carry over then into the spiritual aspect? And I, I even hate to uh, distinguish between the spiritual and the physical, because to me there, there's a connection there. But to say, I am discontent. I want to know more of Jesus. And that's not a bad thing. There is a, a great book that I'd recommend you gentlemen getting a hold of if you haven't already read it. And it's called Contentment. And the subtitle is The Secret to a Lasting Calm. And all you have to do to be content is read this book. No, I'm just joking. But, uh, <laughs> That's but easy. this is a, 
Yeah, there you go. This one's written by a gentleman named uh, Dr. Richard Swenson, and he wrote another excellent book called Margin. And he defines contentment as our glad submission wrapped in God's providence. And I feel like that is stated very well because it brings in a number of keywords. It brings in, I would say, three keywords. We've got our glad submission. We've got the idea of submission and then God's providence. And so kind of connected with what you were saying, Dr. Herod, I think of contentment as this submission to God's sovereignty in our lives so that we can say, wherever I am, whatever is going on, all is well with my soul. And and yet there's still at that same time room for longings, room for desires. I, I don't think that contentment is opposed to desire because there's many godly desires that God calls us to have in Scripture. And because we're in a fallen world, it would be strange and would probably be sinful if we were fully content with the state of how things are right, right. now. <laughs> and so, but I think of like this, the spiritual aspect of this. I mean, there's so much that is outside of our control and in God's providence that even does play into the spiritual aspect. So when you think about we didn't choose our parents. We didn't choose where we're born. We didn't choose our intellect. We didn't choose a number of things. And there's sometimes when we can be dissatisfied with, oh, if God would have only made me X, Y, and Z, I could have thrived more in the spiritual kingdom of God or, or something like that. So so I would say in, in that aspect, still, we should be content with how God has designed us and created us. And we all have these limps, um, whether it's, you know, intellectual or, or physical, and they do have an effect on our, on our spiritual life. But I, but I do see scripture, like you guys have all said, that there are these longings that are fueled in a type of discontentment yeah. that is a good thing. And it draws us to God and I think that that speaks to that there ultimately is only one thing that really will fully satisfy us. Um, and that desire for that thing is a, is a good thing. Right. And I think we see it even in, I think we see discontent in Jesus' life. I think we see him. And, and you know, at first I say that, and I know the listeners like probably sit back in their chair for a second, like, <laughs> wait, what? Like Jesus being discontent? But yes. When you look at the things that he was discontent about, you see nothing but pure heart, right? You don't see sin. You see him being discontent and the reality that, man, they've made his temple a den of robbers. You know, you see him being discontent and disciples, how many times must I tell you? Because he knows what is to come and he knows like what perfection is and where peace lies and when he sees us maybe turning from what he knows is going to bring us that contentment yeah of course i think you see it in scripture him go oh man i just wish you knew <laughs> you know to them so right it's funny i this past sunday i preached from john 11 i've been preaching through the gospel of john and the passage at lazarus's tomb where jesus interacts mm -hmm. with mary 
and Mary, of course, is very distraught. In, in verse 33, I believe it is, Jesus is described as being very angry. And I believe he's angry at death. He is discontent with the way things are. And it manifests in anger and that movement then, of course, toward bringing Lazarus back from the dead. Because as you were talking, Bryce, it it just struck me that so many of the injustices that we see today should cause us to be discontent. But it's not a it shouldn't lead to a passivity. It should be to say, Lord, how can I be your hands and your feet to go out and to show the gospel, to show the kingdom of God in this particular situation? Discontentment leading us to further the kingdom of God by the power of Christ in us. Yeah. But not letting that I think that discontentment become such a a factor in our lives where it robs us of the peace of God. That's where uh Mr. Bundy, the the, the the reference you made to that book, that glad submission to yes. God's providence, that is so hard, though, the idea of a glad submission. Uh, you know, I know in our situation with my daughter's ongoing illness, you know, this is certainly not the road we would have chosen, but we have to remind ourselves it's the road God has placed us on. And we can either be angry and rebel against that, or we can say, Lord, give me grace this day to focus on you and to do what we can to take care of her. So that, that uh, definition really strikes a chord with me because I know that battle to uh, willingly, gladfully at times recognize that. Well, and I think this points out a reality that Dr. Herod spoke to when he was reciting some of Paul's words, the, the idea that he has learned to be content. It, it's not like contentment, at least from a biblical perspective, contentment's not a a hack, so, you know, something that, oh, like, oh, if I only would have known this forever, I could have just done this and then I could have been content through anything. Right. That's not what it seems to be going on. It, it seems like contentment is is something that we must cultivate yeah. within us. And it's something that we can grow and develop in, you know, because I was thinking about Pilgrim's Progress last night and just the the massive influence that John Bunyan had on on Western civilization and the church and just the the trials that he describes that that Christian will go through and how often he he will get through a trial and then he'll be introduced to another trial. And I think about contentment as God brings us through something difficult and we reach this sense of contentment. And then he says, well, I'm going to now deepen your contentment. So now I'm going to bring you through another trial. And so it's really, it seems to me from a biblical perspective, something that must be learned and that takes time. And I think that there are some people who are better at it <laughs> and um, they probably have just been in the in the school of, of training with Christ much longer. Hmm. It's almost like a daily practice of speaking truth to that emotion and, yes. you know, and sifting through it and saying, is this biblical discontentment I'm feeling right now? And if it's not, I got to speak truth to that. And I got to, I got to do away with that. Although that emotion is real and powerful, I got to be able to speak truth to it. As Jeremiah 79 says, my heart is deceitful sometimes right. and man, it can lead me down a wrong path. But if I check that emotion with, the word of God. And I say, no, this is biblically discontent that I'm feeling right now. Then man, let it lead you onward. Yeah. 
That's a great point because I think the messages we hear today is that your emotions and your desires, well, that's just you. There's no need to try to address them. But I think that's wrong. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly because of the fall, our emotions, our, uh, our desires are all impacted by sin. And so I think that idea of self-talk with Scripture is so crucial uh, to kind of stop for a moment and say, okay, why am I angry? Why am I feeling discontent right now? Because a lot of times, and Bryce, this goes back to what you said earlier, it's the issue of expectations. Um, you know, we feel like we've not gotten a fair shake. And to me, it goes back to who are we to say how things ought to be? It, to me, that falls under God's providence. That's under His power. Uh, when we start thinking we can define how things ought to be, that's going to funnel that discontentment in a direction that is not healthy. Are there some questions that maybe could help us diagnose whether what we're feeling is a a biblical, holy discontentment or a, a sinful discontentment? Can you guys think of some questions that we could ask ourselves? I think to me, I start out with, is this making me angry? Does the thought of not getting this, what is my level of anger and where is that coming from? Uh, plus, for me, sometimes I ask myself, if if a person were to come to me and ask my opinion on this particular issue, like say, I'm wanting to, to buy something, okay? I, I've taken up golf, so man, the new Titleist <laughs> clubs, or they're, they're Tiger Woods, and man, I can use the credit card, and they're just $1,800, that's all, <laughs> I'll be happy. I ask myself, how would I counsel somebody who came to me and said, hey, Dr. Herod, I'm thinking about getting these. What do you think? So I, I, when I, if I feel myself getting angry or coveting something, those are some things I go through. Like, what is the basis of this anger? How would I counsel somebody else? Do I really need this? You know, if I get those clubs, does that mean I'm going to play like Tiger Woods? Well, of course <laughs> it does. Uh, no, not really. So I don't know. That's, I'd be interested in hearing your guys' take on that. I think a good question to ask, especially in a moment of discontentment, if this was taken away, yeah. whether that be a circumstance, whether that be uh, a tough relationship issue you're going through, whether that be your money, whether that be your house, would that affect the way negatively that you see God's sovereignty in your life? If that, if that was taken away, if, if these these things that are, are causing you issues were all of a sudden taken away, would you all of a sudden just become content? Yeah, and I would say even to follow off of that, Mr. Ballard, a question that maybe I would ask myself and I do ask myself is, is when maybe I'm pining after something, whether it's a, a, a new job, not not this year, but, uh, you know, in the past, uh, <laughs> Or it's it's something that I don't have, you know. Asking myself, am I under the delusion that when I get this thing, that I will be more happy or more satisfied than I am now? And and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with answering that. Yes, I would be more happy, but I would really dig into to why. So if it's I haven't eaten in in thirty days, and I ask myself, am I discontent in a sinful way? well, food would make me more happy. And I think that's that's an okay desire. But if I'm feeling this this desire to buy something and I just think, you know, 
these emotions are making me feel or or deceiving me to think that if I were to somehow get this, it would ultimately put me into a state of happiness that I could never achieve right now. And I think if I can say yes, then then that is a sign that I am discontent in an ungodly way yeah. and that I need to I need to to search out Christ and and find that contentment in him first um, before I move forward. Yeah, and that's a good question. Would would Christ um, be discontent in this situation? I think it just that's such a simple question, but I do think, you know, sifting through the word of God and looking at his life and and then applying this to my life and saying, would Christ be discontent right now in this situation? I think a lot of times we'll find, no, not about this. And then right. that's when we speak that truth to it. Yeah, yeah. And I think just being rem- that's one of the reasons I enjoy reading history and biographies because it serves as that reminder of how one, you can get everything you think will bring contentment yes. and still be miserable. Yes. And remembering those examples. Uh, once again, if I can show my age, way back in the 1980s, there was a Christian uh, rock band called Whiteheart. And uh, one of the lyrics of their songs has always stuck with me because it says, the things we thought we had to have are the highlight of somebody's yard sale. (laughs) And that always sticks with me because it's like, does this thing that I think will make me happy? And I know I'm talking a lot about stuff, but, you know, years from now, it'll be sold for 10 cents at a garage sale. So Mm. will I still be content? And I think that's a very, very valid question of, um, okay, if I don't have this, am I any less of a person? No. You know, where is my contentment found? It sometimes goes back to that cliche of bloom where you're planted. You know, okay, I may not be happy here, but until, you know, I'm doing what I can, but until the Lord works, Father, develop this in my heart to be happy. Um, Which, that's something I wanted to ask you to get your guys' take on. When you start dealing with ambition, and not talking about contentment from material things, but say an ambition to become a great neurosurgeon or a, a great orator. How how do you strike that balance between saying, okay, I need to be content where I am. I may never be the greatest surgeon or the greatest preacher or the greatest whatever, between that idea of developing because I am discontent with where my skill level is. I think if our heart is where it should be in the idea that I do everything for the glory of God. I had a professor in college one time. He started writing on the board. And I mean, just the most beautiful handwriting that you've ever seen. You know, I'm just like, what in the, like, where did this guy come from? I mean, it looks like you're typing it on a page. It was just crazy. And someone raised their hand and asked like, how did you get your handwriting like that? That's, that's crazy. And he turned around And he said, are we not to do everything for the glory of God? And I sat there for a moment like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're talking about handwriting. Like, it doesn't (laughs) seem like something I should do for the glory of God. But it struck a chord with me because at the same time, even the simplistic things of life, uh, ambition shouldn't be necessarily the issue if I am doing everything for the glory of God. Now, if I'm seeking to become the best surgeon in the world because it's going to make me a lot of money or it's going to get me a lot of status or get me into the white house or, you know, whatever, like things like that. And 
I mean, my ambition is probably misplaced. But if I'm stepping into the hospital every day to do neurosurgery and say, Lord, I mean, this career path, this surgery, this is all in your hands. And I'm doing this for your glory. I don't think we'll ever go wrong there. Right. I think everything you said is right on. Mr. Ballard. And I think there's also, there's a dark side to that. You know, and so I would say, as you look at maybe a a Christian man who wants to become a great neurosurgeon, like you said, Mr. Ballard, if he's doing that for the glory of God, there's nothing wrong with that. But that often looks like us working within the providence of God. So God has given us all different capacities. And so for some of us, it, to become a great neurosurgeon, it may look like it would require us to work 120 hours, uh, you know, right. a week. Right. And and that means that would require us to not be able to fellowship with Christians during the week or spend time with our family or spend time with our um, our spouse. And, and then you ask yourself, is that a holy ambition when you are pushing out those other things that are that scripture says are are very important. I, I remember hearing a haunting story from one of my friends about a man who was going through seminary to get his MDiv, which is a, a holy ambition. There you go. But on the last day that he was in school, his graduation day, he got papers from his wife filing for a divorce. And so you ask yourself, was it wrong for him to want to be a great you know theologian or be a great pastor? No, but at what cost did that pursuit come? And so at the very least, it, it, it brings up a lot of important questions for us to ask when we are considering these great ambitious endeavors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, yeah, is me glorifying good. God in that ambition going to hurt um, me glorifying him in my life as a whole? Yeah, yeah. And dealing with the relationships that that God has placed, mm-hmm. and I think within that, when you start talking about ambition, contentment, and career, and once again, this goes back to the definition you gave earlier, Mister Mister Bundy, that idea of that gladful submission within the providence of God. Mm-hmm. I think asking ourselves, "Am I working to develop the skills I have to the extent that I can?" Yes. So, in other words, to be the best that I can be in the area which God has called me. Um, I was struck like millions of Americans. I've been watching the last dance about the, <laughs> the uh, final season of the bulls. Yes. And uh, they interviewed Charles Barkley, whose Phoenix suns team was defeated by the Chicago bulls in 1993. Now you realize at that level, all the athletes are super competitive. They're, they're not mm-hmm. content. They want to be the best. Right. But it struck me that Barkley said, there's no shame in being defeated by Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Yeah. yeah. And, and that struck me because it was there was a level of, you know what? I played the best I could, and I got beaten by a better team. I can be content with that. Yeah. So I think there's that level of, Lord, if, if I'm striving to be the, the man you have made me to be, striving to be, Lord, the best with the gifts you've given me, there should be a contentment in that to say, mm-hmm. Lord, you've given me these gifts, Help me to develop them for your glory. Right. And the flip side of that on The Last Dance, you saw in these last couple episodes, Michael yeah. Jordan win, finally get to that three-peat. And they interview him right after. And 
they say, are you ecstatic? Are you joyful? Or are you just relieved? And I mean, he, you could just see it on his face. Like it wasn't something, you know, he, he had reached the pinnacle. He had reached the top, right? Like three championships in a row, things people dream about. And he was just more relieved than I would say he was content, right? He was just like, I'm just glad it's over. Yeah. (laughs) Which is crazy to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that level of competitiveness where you reach, how much is enough? Yeah. Yeah. And there was an insatiable desire for the, not necessarily a, I'm trying to think how to say it, for the wrong thing. You know, a glory that comes from man that can be taken away instead of giving me, an, Lord, give me an insatiable desire for you. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be content with where you've placed me in life, the skills you've given me, but Lord, I want to know you more. So maybe it's praying for the right discontentment. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And and that just reminds me once again with that Rockefeller quote is when, when she asked what will be enough, and he said one more dollar. When we think about material things, things that are finite, if we can't answer when enough will be enough, that could be a big sign that we've yes. got mm-hmm. we've got some sinful discontentment festering in our soul. Mm-hmm. Right. Good point. So here here's a really important question. We've talked about a healthy discontentment. We've talked about an unhealthy discontentment. So biblically speaking, real practically, if we have sensed sinful discontentment in our soul, how do we become content? Well, of, of course, the, the typical preacher answer, you know, you pray and you read the Bible, all that's true. But if you want to, to me, even go that next step, to give an example for my own, own life, I love books. Ever since I was little, loved reading love books. For someone to ask me to borrow a book was like mm. asking them to, to, to take some of my precious jewels. <laughs> yeah. Jody and I would talk about that. And she talked about learning to let people borrow without the expectation of getting it back. So mm. for me, it's learning how to give or even alone without without expecting it back. So I would say if I recognize there's a sinful discontentment, if it's with stuff, start giving it away. I know that sounds radical, but I think you'll know freedom when you start giving away things to say, hey, you, you take this. You start realizing that, hey, I can be happy without that. So I don't know, that, that may be far in a field from what we're thinking of, but I think sometimes putting things into practical action of, okay, if I think that stuff has a hold of me, let me start divesting myself of stuff and see, see the freedom that is found in, in giving it away. No, I think that's, that, boy, I was thinking of that myself. And, and I've experienced that as well, Dr. Herod, with, with just money to be to be honest with you, I don't have a lot, but there have been times when I have felt my soul kind of constricting, <laughs> growing anxious. And the the only way that I've been able to find peace with that is to just give chunks of that away. And I find that when I do that, it's like this peace washes over me. And so it's kind of counterintuitive that how do you become content with something that you want or something that you own, start giving it away. Yeah. I think being very, very careful with our expectations. 
I think there's nothing wrong with setting expectations. There's nothing wrong with, with having expectations. But when we set them, when we have them, making sure they are aligned with what God's path and plan is for our life at that moment. And if we're unsure of God's path and plan for that moment, I may not even make the expectation just so that I can make sure that I am not setting an expectation for, for my goal or my welfare, but I'm only setting expectations that say, you know, Lord, your will be done ultimately. Amen. Amen. You know, another thing that, that I have found that has been helpful with contentment is, and I know this might go back to the Sunday school answer, but just diving into the presence of God. Yeah. Like just absolutely. really pursuing the presence of God. And sometimes that seems really hard because we're really busy and because the things that we are passively intaking, truthfully, like, I mean, think of all the advertisements. That's their main goal is to make us discontent. And there's nothing wrong with buying things. But I noticed that there were times when when I was listening to certain types of podcasts and I started noticing wow, like I'm starting to feel really discontent and a little bit nervous. And it's not like those podcasts were wrong or evil in and of themselves, but it was the amount of intake that I was bringing in. And, and, and there'll be times even with, you know, with movies or with television shows where I'll have to step back in my, you know, what I'll feel is like this, something's off, something's wrong. And what I've noticed, it's like this overload. And so it, at times, I, I'll have to just step back. And, and that's that idea of fasting, too. It doesn't always have yeah. to be about food, but, right. but fasting from things that we, we love or we could love too much. And I've found that when I, I detach idols or things that could potentially be idols, it's so much easier to, to jump into the presence of God, to pursue Him. And despite this being the Sunday school answer, I have always found that when I'm experiencing God, I am most content. Yeah, that's very true. And, and and diving into him, like you said, diving into the scripture, diving into the theology that, that helps expand our vision of who God is. Um, and it, it amazes me, too, how discontentment becomes connected to so many other sinful attitudes that mm. discontentment can lead to jealousy as we look at others and think, well, why can't I have that? So one thing that I would encourage and learning to be free from discontentment is that if you find yourself jealous of another person of what they have or their gifts, make yourself, tell yourself, rejoice for them, Hmm. congratulate them. Now you may think, well, I don't want to be hypocritical. I don't think it's hypocritical. If you're saying, Lord, my attitude is not pleasing to you. I want it to change. That's acknowledging our sinfulness. And I think those steps toward acting in the way God would have you to act is a step toward healing. So I would say in those times of learning to celebrate for somebody else that may attain something you want, something that you covet because of your discontentment. So learning to rejoice with those that rejoice as well as weep with those who weep. Well, I think that uh, this has been a very helpful time for me as I'm wrestling through this very important topic with with you all. And are there any any last words you could leave for our, our listeners, Dr. Herod or Mr. Ballard, before we wrap up this episode? I think one of the things that was said earlier really stuck with me. Learning contentment is a process. 
And so if you struggle with it, just stay before the Lord. As I'd said in our circumstance, there are times when I think of like what Mr. Bundy said earlier, that glad submission. Sometimes that glad submission is a struggle, but I always come back to saying, Lord, you are sovereign. You will supply what we need each day. So to engage in that self-talk based upon Scripture and to stay in the fight, to stay in that process of growing uh, to learn contentment in the Lord. Amen. I think that's a great way to end. (laughs) Yeah, I do too. Boy, there's great gladness and joy in in knowing God and experiencing Him. Gentlemen, thank you so much. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. Well, that wraps up our time for the Learning in Wartime podcast. I'm Dane Bundy, your host. Thank you so much for listening. My prayer is that this podcast would be a great encouragement to you in this time of war. And remember, today's going to be a great day for our Lord reigns. Rest in Him. See you next week.